Tonight, we're going to have a good time in his word. If you have a Bible, Acts 19 is our text. We'll be turning to Ephesians 6 um, in a little while. If you want to put a marker there, not too far from where we're at, uh, but just put a a bookmark there. We'll be turning over there in a little while um, for kind of a cross-reference. Um, tonight, uh, I, I got to say, when preparing and reading and preparing for this Bible study, I quickly understood that this study would be a bit more, uh, let's say, thought-provoking and perhaps a little deeper than some of our more practical studies that are geared towards, you know, general devotion and, and, and our lifestyles as Christians. Um, that's really what the bulk of our messages are, and that's what our goal is as a church, is to show people um, practical pathways to live lives that honor the Lord from home to work and everywhere in between. Um, sometimes we go a little deeper and we go um, into more thought-provoking directions, which I think is important because the Bible has plenty of that for us. And especially these Wednesday night services lend toward those sometimes. So I think the direction we're going to go tonight ought to be a conversation that more often, um, that is more often had in churches and in Christian circles. Um, at first, it might seem a little wild. It, it might seem a, a little bit um, beyond what you're interested in, maybe. And, and I don't know. I think if you're here on a Wednesday night, you probably are pretty interested in whatever the Bible has to say to us about. Um, but I think once we get into the Word um, and start hearing what God really has to say on this subject, I think it'll be really eye-opening and I think it will really edify us as individuals and as a body. Um, I learned a lot, and, and I learn every week, but sometimes uh, the messages are really reaffirming what I already know and, and really kind of clarifying what I already believe as we kind of teach through the Bible. But I got to say, I learned a lot in preparation for this and uh, kind of dotted some I's and crossed some T's in some things that I really, I believed, but I didn't really have ironed and sharpened the way that probably I needed to to be able to teach them. So I learned a lot in prep for this, and I think we're going to learn a lot in this conversation. So let me say this. This conversation, which is rooted in Scripture, of course, it's going to stretch our faith. It's going to challenge our faith. Uh, And most importantly, it's going to broaden our understanding of what spiritual means and what is spiritual And it's going to broaden our understanding of spirituality, which is something we talk about abstractly, but we don't often connect the dots and how it affects us practically in uh, day to day. The reason these sorts of discussions can be easily overwhelming uh, and intimidating is because we are carnal. Paul said in Romans 8, I'm carnal, I'm sold under sin. So the reason why we often can get overwhelmed when we talk about this kind of stuff is because we, I don't want to insult you, I'm talking about me, I have a little mind and I I have a carnal mind. I process things in a very limited fashion because of my, uh, uh, I'm finite. I I don't have the eyes of God, the mind of God. So when I start talking about this stuff, my ability to understand is limited. But thanks be to God, we have a spirit who is here to help us. Um, So we're detailing some top shelf stuff here um, that's going to leave us, that's going to give us a look into what is sacred and a peek behind the curtain of our reality. Uh, Maybe we'll discover um, uh, the Bible gives us more looks behind the veil than we realize. And I think we'll, um, we'll, things that we generalize and rationalize so easily, I think we'll realize that we should not underestimate what really is at play around us at all times. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna read Acts 19, 11 through 20. I think it'll become clear very quickly the direction we're going in. And then we're going to dig deeper, uh, deeper as, as deep as we can, while still retaining our clarity and understanding. And I think where we'll land tonight is at a greater place 
a place of greater awareness of our spiritual reality. So that's where I think we're going to get tonight, where I pray we're going to get tonight, where I believe we will get tonight. I think we're going to arrive at a place of greater awareness. It's going to be a big word tonight, a big key term, awareness of our spiritual reality. So Acts 19 verse 11, the word of God tells us, now God worked unusual miracles. Maybe your Bible says special. New King James says unusual miracles. Some Bibles say extraordinary. The Greek word there is things that were not ordinary. So that's why some say extraordinary. God worked special miracles, unusual miracles by the hands of Paul. So that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick. And diseases left them and evil spirits. That's going to be a key phrase tonight. Evil spirits went out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jew, Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, we exorcise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. So they weren't doing this out of personal devotion or faith. They were doing this most likely for profit or for some personal gain. Also, there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish priest, so this sort of following that this priest had, this sort of uh, had his own disciples that had this leadership, had this movement in, this, in the town of Ephesus. The seven sons of Sceva began to exercise like Paul was doing. In verse 15, and here we hear it again. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on, overpowered, leaped on them, overpowered them, prevailed against them, and they fled out of that house naked and wounded. This became known both to all the Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Also, many of those who practiced magic brought their books together, burned them in the sight of all, and they counted up the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. Now, this is a very unique passage of Scripture. Now, we have to understand Paul has taken the gospel as far as Ephesus. This is Gentile headquarters. This is Greek Roman headquarters. This is far out of the Jewish Middle Eastern world where people believed in one God and worshiped the way the Old Testament teaches. These people were steeped in pagan ideals and pagan traditions. They were as deep as you can get in the religions of the world. Uh, and no doubt there were a lot of evil spirits that were present in the lives of these men and these women. And of course, we see what happens when someone tries to cast those spirits out and, and, and they're not prepared for such a task. Now, this is one of the few occasions where the spiritual reality of the present world, the spiritual understanding and underpinnings of our world are clear and present for everyone to see. Now, not every chapter in Acts features these kinds of stories, but this chapter allows us to see what was going on and what really was going on behind the curtain that was breaking through for everyone to see the spiritual battle that is present in our world. Now, there are tons of miracles in the Bible, just like there are miracles that happen every single day to this day, seen and unseen, observed and unnoticed, understood, and uh, completely, uh, you know, a gap, you know, beyond our comprehension. But a few times in the Bible, we get 
a clear picture of by what means these miracles take place, as in we get to see the miracles happen and we get to see how they happen, and we get to see the forces that resist and oppose them from happening. And this is one of those times, one of the few times, but one of those times. Now, this episode is very similar to a more familiar account in the Gospels where, the, where Jesus saves a demon-possessed man from the land of Gadara. Now, again, we have the demons talking back to the would-be exorcist. That's something that we don't see a lot in the New Testament. We don't see a lot of that in the Bible in general, but we see it here. But you probably are more familiar with that story about Jesus in the land of Gadara, in the, land of Gadara the people of Gadarene, where he met a man who was in a graveyard chained to the tombs um, who of course was demon possessed and and this is how that story went down Luke 8 when Jesus when he saw Jesus he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice now this is after Jesus said come out of this man to this demon possessed man the demon says what have you to do with me Jesus, son of the most high God. Now, that's not mockery. That's literally confessing that in the presence of Jesus, this demon was completely helpless. So this demon says, I beg you, do not torment me. Because he knew who he was facing. And then Jesus asked him, what is your name? And the demon says, legion for many demons had entered him. So this was not just a singular demon. This was a multitude of demons. And again, this is beyond our comprehension, but this is a real account and a real person who was possessed by demons. And they begged him, the demons begged him not to command them to depart to the abyss because they knew and they know and and Satan knows his destiny. These demons knew their destiny. Now Luke tells us a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Notice Jesus is completely in charge of this situation, isn't he? Jesus has authority over every corner of this universe. Then the demons came out of the man, entered the pigs. The herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. And into the abyss. They went. Now, I've said before, and I'll reiterate, that it should not be of any surprise that there were many, there were much demonic activity in the New Testament because God Himself had entered creation. It should not surprise us that Satan tried to counter that in every way. Of course, he was no match for Jesus, right? Now, what we find out, though, if we begin to read the Bible in its entirety, What we really find out from a wider understanding of reality is that God's interactions with and within and through creation from the beginning have always been countered by demonic activity. Demonic activity. Now, here in Acts, we have Paul able to drive out many evil spirits out of people in Ephesus. And then we have some attempting to, not up to the task, being ridiculed by the evil spirits, not just mocked, but they were assaulted by them. Now, the question is, is this a reality that we live in today? Is the reality that we read about in Luke, that we read about in Acts, is this a reality? And to be more specific, is our world that adjacent to, that connected to, that susceptible to, that influenced by the spiritual world? Is our world as adjacent to, as in side by side, as influenced by the spiritual world as the world we read about in the Bible was? Now, same world, 
But have times changed? Are things different? Now, when I say spiritual world, we mean whether by the Holy Spirit or by evil spirits. Now, here's where we're going to have to need to clarify something that may otherwise prevent us from being able to make sense of this. We often wrongfully and ignorantly categorize good versus evil as spirit versus flesh. The Bible does something, does sometimes pit the spirit against flesh, but that's in terms of our personal struggle, our personal internal struggle with sin. Our fallen nature, however, now listen clearly, our fallen nature is not rooted in flesh itself being evil. Because who created flesh? Who created this material world? God. And what does he say in Genesis again and again and again? And God said it is good. When he made the water, when he made the land, when he made the animals, when he made people, God says it is good. God made man and woman. God made the physical world and he ordained it as good. And he will one day restore it as better than ever. Now, flesh and blood, flesh, matter, and physicality is not in and of itself evil or sinful. But what happened to this world? What do we call what happened to this world? The fall, right? We refer to Genesis 3 as the fall. What is the fall about? It's about how this world, created in light, created under light, fell into darkness. And this is where we often miss something very big. The darkness is just as spiritual as the light. Not as powerful, by no means, not as sovereign or sovereign at all, but the darkness itself is spiritual, as in a spiritual force is behind the darkness as much as a spiritual force is behind the light. Now, we know which side is more powerful. We know which side is in control. But my point is, we often underestimate and say, well, what's wrong with this world is flesh, our nature is sinful because we're physical, because we are made out of this world. That's not what's wrong. What's wrong is this world that God made fell into darkness, was overwhelmed and overcome by spiritual darkness. As in there's a motive behind this world. There's a force in this world that is spiritual but is evil. You see, everything is spiritual. Everything is spiritual. There's a spiritual force in behind everything. Spiritually light, spiritually dark, but there is a spiritual force, whether it's light or dark. I hope you're tracking with me. I know this is you know, a lot to kind of talk about because this isn't an everyday conversation. This isn't what you sit down at supper and say, hey, let's talk about the Bible. Let's talk about spiritual darkness. But we need to be talking about this because I think we'll be more wise to what is going on around us. Everything is spiritual. There's God's spirit, Holy Spirit, the power he wrought in creation, the power he works in redemption. And there is an evil spirit. We've seen it mentioned here three times in Acts 19, haven't we? Evil spirits, evil spirits. So that means that there is a spirit that is evil. That brought about sin, fueled sin, dominates the world through sin, keeps our flesh enslaved and in bondage. If you, if you don't believe that there are forces of evil at work in this world, I want to just walk you through the Bible. And I want to show you behind the veil. I want to show you some highlights about this spiritual darkness that has been influencing 
controlling our world since the fall. Think about the promise God made Abraham. What was God's promise to Abraham all about? Redeeming the world, right? God's gonna give Abraham a seed. That nation that would come through that seed would bring a savior. What happens once that family of Abraham becomes a nation? When Jacob has those 12 sons and they become the nation of Israel, what happens as soon as they become a nation or a a, a would-be nation? They are taken as slaves into Egypt. And who is ruling that nation? A tyrant who wears a serpent's crown on his head. Do you think that's a coincidence? That the ruler of the empire that tried to kill the nation before it ever really got off the ground was a tyrant who wore a serpent's crown and demanded people worship him as God? That's not a coincidence at all, is it? Satan doesn't, do you, do you not think that Satan doesn't have this grip on the institutions of this world? He absolutely does. And he tried to show, use that force to stop Israel from ever getting off the ground, to stop the redemption plan from getting in motion. All throughout time, just as God has been working behind the scenes, redeeming the world, reaching the world, Satan has been as well. Job chapter one, which is all about behind the curtain, The Bible says there was a day when the sons of God or the angels of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered, from going to and fro on the earth, walking up and down. I have been everywhere on the earth looking to see whose life I might can interfere with, to see how I might could cause a thorn in your plan. Now Job did not know this was going on. Job just trusted that God was in control and of course God was But what we gather from this scene is that God is sovereign over the enemy. Satan is on a leash. Because, of course, Satan was one of the angels of heaven who rebelled and fell. And this earth has been under his influence ever since. Now, I know this begs the question. Why wouldn't God just destroy the devil? I mean, if Satan is the one doing all this, if he's the one where all this darkness came from and all the temptation came from and all the rebellion came from, why did not God just destroy Satan? Because God so loved the world that remained under Satan's power. Now, that's not a cop-out. That is a, that is the statement. Why did not God just destroy the enemy? Because God so loved the world that was under the enemy's power and God was committed to redeeming it. So the reason why God allows evil to persist, the reason why Satan has not been chained up in hell yet is because God does not want us to be chained up with him. The reason why God lets the Hitlers of the world come to be and all the other evil men and women come to be, the reason why he lets the things go on that we think, how could that ever be possible with a loving God? It's because God so loved the world that he doesn't want to see someone chained up where Satan is going to be chained up. So what does God do? He puts up with. And tragically, we put up with as well, but God does so because even ourselves, even if we're on the 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 losing end of oppression we ourselves are sinners we're all under his power so God spares Satan because he spares us because all of us would deserve the same hell that Satan is going to get forever and ever and ever and ever for eternity we would get that as well if not for God's redemption plan now more on that later in the old testament we see God using Israel to push towards redemption 
to counter the influence and the impact of darkness. We're reminded again and again, God has not forsaken the world, though it be plunged into evil. In the days of Elisha the prophet, when Israel was battered by enemies, surrounded by the nation of Syria, infected by disease, stricken by famine, I want you to listen to this exchange when Elisha and his servant notice that Syria has besieged the land of Samaria. When the servant of man, of the man of God, rose early in the morning, went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, alas, my master, what shall we do? And Elisha says, do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And the servant says, I don't see anyone with us. Elisha says, oh, well, that's the problem. Oh, Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots, in case you're wondering where they came from, of fire all around Elisha. Again, don't you see how all throughout the Bible we see that there is another reality? There is a coexisting reality that is adjacent to us, that is beside us, that is around us, that we may not be aware of it. Now, if this, is, if this was only a few isolated incidents, we could dismiss it, but it's all over the Bible. Maybe the account that takes the cake that really brings this into view, the unseen landscape of the world, is the book of Daniel. God gave Daniel several visions concerning the power structures of the world, particularly about how it would impact Israel as a nation and how it would uh, prevent Israel from being its own nation free. Daniel begin, begins to see empire after empire taking dominance of the world, but their agendas were not just rooted in material kingdoms. They were driven by evil forces, by spiritual darkness, demonic power. They were driven to stop the kingdom of God. They were driven to stop the nation of Israel from becoming, uh, from bringing the Savior to the world. And, and Daniel becomes distraught because he wonders if Israel and ever, if God's redemption plan is ever going to be complete because they had been in exile for decades. Daniel begins fasting and praying when he has a vision that really troubles him about Israel's future. And then in the middle of his fast, after several weeks of fasting, an angel comes to Daniel. Fear not, Daniel. From the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. So 21 days ago, Daniel, I heard you. God heard you, and he sent me to come to you. But you want to know why I just now got here? The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the king's. Persia. Now, he's not talking about a physical flesh and blood king or prince. He's talking about demonic forces. And the angel says, I came to make you understand what is going to happen in your, to your people in the latter days. I came to assure you that there are days yet to come for your people. But don't you see what the angel says to Daniel there and why it's so important? That he's been battling the demons that are on the side of the kingdoms of this world? Again, this might be, whew, I don't know if I want to go this far, Justin, but this is where we're going with this. The angel goes on to say that the kingdom of Greece had demons fighting for it too. And it wasn't going to end with Persia. There were more to come that were going to make it hard on the people of God. 
But God, but the angel says, God has a plan for Israel, don't worry. Just trust me. Now I'll bring all this up to bring this particular thought and this particular thing into scope. I want us to understand what is going on in our world at all times. What was going on in the days of Daniel, what was going on in the days of Paul, what is going on in our day, in our time. You don't have to believe it. You can say it's not really for me, but doesn't mean it's not true. Not because I said it, but because I think the Bible teaches it. Every institution and every kingdom of this world that does not derive its influence and its strength and its vision from God's spirit is influenced, powered by, and guided by evil spirits. Everyone. Now that might sound absolute to you, that might sound radical to you, but that is what the Bible teaches. There is no neutral. Now listen, there is only one institution and there's only one kingdom that's 100% rooted and grounded in God and the Holy Spirit and that is the church of Jesus Christ and that is the kingdom of God. So I'm not saying that there are certain, peop- certain institutions in the kingdom of this world that are, you know, that are spared from this influence. No, everything of this world... It's given a choice to find influence and strength and vision from God. But most of them, right, 99.9% of them choose evil. They may look neutral at times, but they're not neutral. That They don't bow to God. And they may not physically and literally and in practice bow to evil. But those that do not bow to God will be influenced, empowered by, and guided by evil spirits. And in some cases, ignorance is bliss. Now, am I telling you to be afraid of everything that doesn't hold up the sign that says Christian on it? Am I telling you to be afraid or to be secluded, detach yourself from every company in every country that is not a card-carrying Christian institution? No, 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 I'm not telling you that. Because even those that hold the sign up, you can't always trust them because they do it for the same reason the sons of Sceva did it, Right? I don't want you to be afraid. I'm not trying to get you to detach yourself from this world because that's exactly the opposite of what Jesus said for us to do, isn't it? This, this reference is what we talked about Sunday. Jesus was aware of all this and what did he do and what did he say in light of all this? We looked at this Sunday, but it's, it bears repeating. Jesus prayed, I've given them your word. The world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Don't you see what he's talking about? Spiritual light, spiritual darkness. I do not ask that you take them from the world, but that you keep them from the evil one, the evil spirit. So Jesus doesn't say, hey, make sure they don't go there, don't, don't walk there. I mean, we can't get away from it. It's everywhere, right? The institutions and kingdoms of this world, there, there's no way to avoid it. But Jesus says there's a way to persevere through it. Persevere through it. He says again, they're not of the world, just as I am not of the world, but sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me, I send them. So what does Jesus say? A world that is bowing at the other altar? I'm sending my people into it. So this is my message. This is God's message, actually. That we be aware and watchful. And it's not just you people say, well, they're trying to get our kids. They're not just trying to get your kids. They're trying to get you, right? They're not just after people. Every, people say, oh, they're influential. They're, they're easily influenced. Who isn't easily influenced? 
All of our minds are easily swayed. So why, so that's why it's important that we talk about this. And that's why it's important that we hear what Peter said. Be sober-minded and be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking who he may devour. So we must be vigilant that we aren't taken by surprise and that we aren't taken down a road that may not look dark, but is dark. And and let me just say this. The enemy, evil spirits don't come with pitchforks and horns. They don't. They come with charisma. They come with a little religion. They come with what is attractive to even the people of God. They come with what attracts us economically, socially, culturally. They come with what gets our attention and what gets our affection. They also come with what makes us apathetic and careless So we must be vigilant, not scared, not reclusive, but vigilant and on mission. Romans chapter 13 says, besides this, you know that the hour has come for you to wake from your sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Don't you see, and maybe what I hope the greatest, my my greatest goal for tonight was to open our eyes to just how, to the reality of our spiritual world. That it's not flesh versus spirit, it's spirit versus spirit, it's dark versus light. Now I ask you to put a marker over in Ephesians 6 because that armor of light ought to make you think of Ephesians 6. If it didn't, look over with me at Ephesians 6. Now we'll turn back to Acts 19 in just a minute, but look at Ephesians 6 verse 10 through 14 because this has really been our destination for this, uh, during this entire conversation. Paul says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. And that's a mouthful, isn't it? Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. Stand, therefore. And he goes on to detail what it means to be prepared for this battle. Verse 12 really stands out, really is the thesis of this entire conversation. Depending on what translation you have, you may see words like this. He says rulers, he says principalities, cosmic powers, spiritual forces. Again, he's talking about spiritual darkness that are, that are of this and over this present age. All those words reference to the spiritual darkness that has cast its shadow over the world that rule this world that influence every institution and every kingdom. So what is God's message to us? That we, the children of God, that we, the children of light, help to free our world from the bondage it's in and make way for the kingdom of God. Flip back a few pages to Ephesians 2. I want you to notice something. In Ephesians 2, listen to what Paul says as as he's really detailing what our salvation is. And he starts at the very beginning, the very core. 
Ephesians 2.1, he says, you he made alive who were dead in your trespasses and sin. And look at verse two, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the son of disobedience. So again, he alludes to that fact that we were saved from a spiritual darkness. And he calls us children of wrath. Verse four, it says, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us, has made us alive. And if you read those next few verses, he says he's raised us up and given us a new spiritual identity, heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages have come, verse seven, he might show the exceedingly, exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ. For by grace you are saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works lest anyone should boast. And what does verse 10 say? For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we might walk in them. So this details how we've been freed by Jesus. We've been made sons and daughters of light. And this is what he's saying to us. We've been freed and filled with light, love and grace so that we might be God's workmanship as in the products of his hands being used to make a difference in our world. Now back to Acts and we'll wrap this up. Look at verse 11. What does the text tell us? God worked special, unusual, extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. Who's doing the working? God, but he was using a willing vessel. Isn't this literally what it means to be the hands and feet of Christ? Paul, his hands were used to be the, the, the power of God. Now, let me first say what this isn't talking about. Because here we see God doing these miracles. Paul was his vessel carrying light to darkness. This does not suggest that Paul had unlimited power to do anything he wanted to and heal anybody that he wanted to. That's not what this says. Sometimes there's verse into this lie that says that, you know, hey, if, if, if you're really spiritual, then God's your genie and you'll, he'll do what you ask him to. And they twist words that Jesus said into making that seem like the reality. But Paul did not have unlimited power and no Christian, no matter how gifted they are, ever has that kind of power. There are a couple examples of Paul later in his ministry where he even says, I, I, couldn't, heal, I couldn't heal somebody. I, and he was brokenhearted because he could not help them because it wasn't God's will. A few verses to, for you to look at on your own time. If you look at Philippians 2, 25 through 27, 2 Timothy 4, 19 and 20, Paul mentions these two friends of his, Epaphroditus and Trophimus. One, he says, was near to death and it broke his heart that he could not help him, but God healed him, and he was so thankful. Trophimus, Paul says, I left him in a certain city because he was ill, and he wasn't going to recover. Now, I'm not trying to say, well, you know, God doesn't heal people. God heals people. He's healed me. He's healed many people I know. God is a healer, but Paul was not a healer, and I am not a healer. Not everyone gets healed in the story of God. That's okay, because God's still good, even if he doesn't heal. 
Does God, did God work miracles by Paul's hands? Can God work miracles by your hands? Yes, he can. But not at our will. If it's his will, it's not what we control. Nonetheless, we pray and we entrust every person in every situation into God's hands. Just like God used Paul, God can use you because we are spiritual vessels of light. I want us to focus though on, in closing, at the sons of Sceva. Verse 13 through 17, this is just a unique passage of scripture that doesn't get enough attention. And I'll be honest, a lot of people like me don't touch this scripture because we're not prepared to deal with it. It takes a lot of work to kind of parse all this out. But verse 13 tells us there were certain Jewish exorcists who most likely did this for money that put on, that tried to, you know, cast demons out and they saw Paul doing it and they realized, well, the reason why we can't do it is because we haven't had the secret. The secret is in Jesus' name. So they begin to use Jesus' name like Paul did. And then there were these sons of Sceva who attempted to cast this evil spirit out of this particular man. And verse 16 says, the evil spirit leapt out of the man onto them, overpowered them, prevailed against them, and left them for dead. Naked and wounded. These exorcists went about trying to mimic Paul in a light, in a nonchalant way, and they were beaten up and left for dead. But verse 15 is the verse that really drives all this home for us. The evil spirit says to the sons of Sceva, Jesus I know, and Paul I've heard about, but who are you? Isn't that something? Jesus I know, Paul I recognize, but who are you? Spiritual lightweights and posers. They were exposed in their theatrics. Now, I gotta say this because it's important. Here's how I know 99% of these miracle services that take place are staged. And even if, even in some cases, I believe they're demonic in and of themselves. Because the way these people act, flippantly commanding God to do their bidding, slapping people, acting like they do, if that was real, light versus dark, there would be some people left naked and wounded in those situations. Because many or most are conducting themselves like the sons of Sceva. They're simply using the power of God for their own gain. And they're out of their league. Now, I would never speak against the Holy Spirit if he is involved in something. And God forgive me if I ever would. But I think it's important that we address that because there's a lot of people in our world today putting on shows and attempting to enslave people's minds by theatrics. And that kind of theatrics, if it really brushes up against darkness that really needs to be cast out, you better, be, you better be ready or you'll be left like these guys. But what matters most here and the question I wanna leave you all with, do demons tremble because of you? Or do they even bat an eye? Do they tremble? When you walk by, when your light shines on them, or are they unfazed? Do they say, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Or do they say, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, and I've heard of you? You know what the New Testament's goal for us as Christians is? 
You know what the end game for us being God's workmanship is? That we might bring liberty to those who are in demonic bondage. And believe me, there's a lot of people in demonic bondage in this world. That we might make our lives or live our lives in a way that our light shines into darkness, through darkness, and overpowers darkness. Again, if you look at that scripture in Ephesians, I, I implore you to study it. As Paul talks about what it means to have the armor of God, he talks about it in a way that we might put out the fiery darts of the wicked one. That we might use the power of God to defeat the wicked one. Now, to me, that is more than just go to church quietly on Sundays and have a good time any other day of the week and don't sin. This is calling us into battle, don't you think? This is calling us to be aware of our spiritual reality. Now, you may not think this is for you, and most Christians don't. And that's why most of us don't make the demons tremble. And that's why most of us could never do what Paul did. And I'm not judging you, I'm talking about me because this is way too deep for us and we don't want anything to do with it. But the invitation for us tonight is that God wants you to help him light up his world. And you know why I'm preaching this? Because I believe that God can still raise up people today like he did then. I believe God can call any of you to be a light into our dark world and make a difference in someone's life that has been given up on by the rest of the world. Are we walking by people enslaved to this world knowing good and well that we can't help them or do we possess the kind of passion and power from God that he might use us if the opportunity is present? God's goal for us is that we might make the demons cower and that those in bondage to darkness might see and feel and be freed by the light of God through us. So here's my question and here's my request. Would you be willing to ask God to do extraordinary things through your life? Would you be willing to commit your hands to his work and become his workmanship and allow his light and his love and his grace to change you and transform you, would you be willing to take the battle at hand seriously? And, and be aware that there are polar opposite forces at work. Those are the questions that we must consider tonight. Jesus, I know. And Paul, I know, but who are you? Who are you? You know who knows who you are tonight? God and the demons. They know. They know. God knows if he can use us. And the demons know if we are any threat to them. May we be a people who are fiercely devoted and dedicated to bringing spiritual light and liberty to a world blinded in and enslaved by spiritual darkness. Do you want to be that kind of person? I believe there are people that you work with. There are people that you are, live beside. There are people that you cross every day, that we, that I cross every day, that if the light would just shine through us powerfully enough, demons would start to tremble, chains would start to break, and life would start to change. I believe that. I believe the God of the old, the God of the new is still the same God. 
I believe God can still work unusual, extraordinary things through your hands like he did Paul's. But I believe we've got to be ready and we've got to be committed and we've got to be prepared for that kind of battle. Would you be willing to pray with me tonight for God to equip us with, equip us with that armor? Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you for showing us our reality. Lord, thank you for pulling the curtain back and showing us the spiritual reality, a spiritual darkness and a spiritual light. Now, we know you are in control. We know you are greater. We know uh, redemption is coming. We know Satan is going to be bound up in a bottomless pit. We know he is no match for you. We know, but we also know that there are many people who will spend eternity with him unless they are saved. We would be in that bottomless pit unless we were saved. We know that there are demons that work in this world to enslave people and to control people and to condemn people. Lord, would you use us to shine light into a world enslaved by darkness? Would you use us to be your workmanship, to make a difference in a world that so desperately needs help? Lord, help us not to put our faith in the institutions or the kingdom of this world because they don't have the light. You do, and you've put that light in us. God, thank you for this word. Thank you for this conversation. Thank you for your word that opens our eyes. And I pray all of us would just consider that verse again and again where the demon said, I know Jesus and I know Paul, but I don't know you, I don't know you and you're no threat to me. Lord, would you raise up a generation of men and women in this church whether they're 90 or nine, would you raise up a generation of men and women in this church who the demons are terrified of? Who have no match for, what the, for the light that is shined in and through and around them? Would you do that to God? Would you anoint these men and women tonight for something that they may not have ever thought themselves candidates for and qualified for, but you have, you have called them to put on the armor. Would you equip them for this work? Thank you, God, for this invitation. Would you bless us tonight in Jesus' name? Amen.